Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome everybody to my independence report. We've got a very, 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 very special show for you today. And I hope that everybody's going to stay tuned and listen to it. It's going to be great. I'd like to introduce, first of all, the regular cast of characters. The first one I'll, I'll mention is Matt Shea. He's an author. He's written nine books. Go to mattsheabooks.net and you can find out all about him. And there, there he is. And and our and our fellow brother in the uh eric hall welcome eric <laughs> and our special guest today that is brought to you by eric and eric i'm gonna have you introduce him this is randy hathaway <laughs> now randy That's is a longtime friend how long have I known you? What, what year? Probably uh, 90, 1990. 1990. So I guess we're going into what, like 31 years? 31 years. We met at Cornish at college. Yeah. And uh, it was, uh, boy, that was a fun class. It was an inner arts program at college. <laughs> and yeah. I, we, were in the same, we were in the same group, right? I think uh, that's how we met. I don't know if we were in the same group, but we were certainly, it was a, a, a modest sized class, but um, yeah, I remember meeting you there on the very first day. Yeah. I thought yeah. you guys were going to say that you met in kindergarten 31 years ago. <laughs> yeah. We started college early then. We were, we were early. <laughs> we were one of the brighter kids. Yeah. You're just brilliant, simply brilliant. Well, they're sending us back to kindergarten any day now soon. You know, people have been calling. <laughs> Randy's been that? a long time friend. We've been friends for a lot of years and stayed in touch. And you know, so and in he is a fantastic, fantastic guitarist and composer, as you're gonna find out. It is absolutely stunning. And what he is his uh, the albums that we're gonna the album that we're talking about uh today uh really adds to the fabric of uh, American music, as you'll find out. It's a really a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. It it really is. I've been listening to it. It's it's uh, it's it's fantastic, and and it's not normal. A lot of not a lot of people are doing what he is doing, and it's classical guitar, and it's it's marrying voices and and people, and and developing the whole thing. And so, Randy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, the name of the album, in case it escapes anybody's notice, is Classical Guitar in America. Classical Guitar in America. And you can go to uh, uh, randyhathaway.com and you can find out all about him, his bio, and listen to some music. And and you can actually, oh, be still my foolish heart. You can actually buy some. And uh, <laughs> it'll be great for you to go do that. But uh, what's interesting about this is not just the CD you can buy. You can also purchase the music. Yeah. Right. Right. The charts. Yeah. 
Yeah, when I uh, recorded it, <clears throat> I knew early on that I wanted to publish everything into sheet music. Um, so that was just a whole nother level of having to produce this project because um, I had to do all the typesetting. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and then the artwork on top of that had to be incorporated onto the sheet music. So, um, you know, as an independent artist, uh, you don't have the privilege of just uh, handing that off to other people to do. So there was a lot of learning, a lot of um, of uh, trial and error. <laughs> but in, at the, the end result, it was just everything that turned out was just extremely beautiful. So there you go. Well, you know, I'm not surprised because uh, Randy, Randy, 1983. Holy smokes. So he's he's mad. Michael's got you beat. <laughs> yeah, must have been in Yakima then. Yeah, beautiful. Anyway, yeah. And he's and Michael also says he highly recommends classical guitar in America. Beautiful, moving, and inspiring. And by the way, if you'd like to comment too, there's a comment section that you can just tap on that and write Randy a comment, and we'll put it up so that uh, if you got a question for him, if you've got something you'd like to uh, talk to us about, please do that. Thank and, you, Michael. <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, now, Randy, you've been a musician, I'm assuming, since. Well, first of all, let me let me give you um, um, what your your friend Eric said about you is that you are a musician's musician. What he meant by that was that when when people that are coming into town to play Benaroya Hall or Key Arena and stuff who are who are familiar with great musicians and great guitarists that they look you up to say hello is he wasn't overstating that. I don't imagine. Well, um, maybe <laughs> I don't know if they look me up. I probably look them up, but, uh, there's, there's a concert series at Benaroya hall and, uh, through the Seattle classical guitar society, which I've been, um, a member of, uh, and, have worked with them in many capacities. So they have a beautiful concert series and people should try to take advantage of it uh, at Benaroy Hall. And so when these folks come in, a lot of times we get a chance as a society to uh, take them out to dinner afterwards, after their concert. And a lot of times we end up at the wild ginger next door. Beautiful and, restaurant. Yeah. And we'll get a chance to speak with these folks one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and hear great stories of them traveling around the world, playing uh, professionally, and and all the crazy endeavors they they go through on the live circuit, which is really really cool. So I've got a chance to meet some of the really big heavyweights in the uh, classical guitar world for sure, without a doubt. Or if I haven't met them, at least I've gone and seen them. And I know the Minnesota, what was it, Minnesota Guitar Quartet was playing a piece of yours? Yeah, so that's an interesting <coughs> story. Uh, there's a, a wonderful guitar quartet called the Minnesota Guitar Quartet. They've been around for quite a long time, I think since the 80s. And uh, I happened to uh, know somebody who knew them and was mentioning that I had some music that I had written for a guitar orchestra in Seattle way back in the day. And I wanted to condense it down uh, to a more professional guitar quartet. And they said, hey, 
uh, I just so happen to know some people with the Minneapolis Guitar Quartet. If you get that score ready, I'll send it to them. And so they did. They sent them the score, and I probably chimed in on an email somewhere way back and said, you know, hey, if you ever play it, you know, let me know, yada, yada, yada. Well, it just so happens at some point, uh, Minneapolis Guitar Quartet came out to Seattle for their first uh, concert that they had ever done out in the Pacific Northwest, and they were on tour. And I certainly looked them up, contacted kind of the main guy, his name's Joe Hagedorn, and said, hey, Joe, would you guys be willing to play that music I sent you? And he uh, kind of said, well, we already have our set uh, already programmed, but just to let you know, we played it back east a whole bunch of times at some festival, and it was really well received with the audience. So I was really that was really um, thrilling for me to hear him say that because uh, I had no idea. So when they came out, just like I said, we took them over to uh, the uh, Wild Ginger and I had a great conversation, got to meet the other guys in the quartet. Uh, and uh, he introduced me as, hey, there's that guy who wrote that piece we played. <laughs> it was fun. Um, and they were just wonderful guys. They were just really wonderful. So that is a unique situation. Wow. It was great wow. to have them play a piece of mine and then uh, be able to hang out with them at some point and just talk with them. What led you down? What led you down? The, holy mackerel. Um, does somebody have their cell phone on? No? Okay. Well, that went away. Um, Randy, you, you are... Uh, um, have been in classical music for a long time. What cho chose, what motivated you to do classical music rather than rock or soul or any of the other kind of or stuff? Punk. Well, or punk or any punk. of the other stuff. <laughs> you're, well, you're, I actually, you're a punk guy. Yeah, I actually did. So when I was growing up uh, and I got into guitar when I was about 15, I really enjoyed um, hard rock. And then that kind of morphed into like heavy metal. So I became like this lead guitar player of a couple bands in my local town playing like hard rock, heavy metal. Uh, but there was always uh, kind of in your ear, you would read and hear people talk about how a lot of these metal guys had potentially some classical training. And so I really didn't know much about classical guitar, but I ended up uh, dating this girl who played classical piano and she was a radio DJ. Uh, we all like the same type of music uh, in the rock world, but um, I used to go over to her house and she would play like these Chopin preludes and etudes. Beautiful. And I thought, you know, this is very interesting. You know, I was about, oh, 18, 19 years old. I didn't quite get it but I thought it was at least worth exploring. So I decided to go take some classical guitar lessons. Kind of in a way to be that romantic boyfriend, you know what I mean? So I thought, hey, I want to do this for her. So I got a little classical guitar, started taking some lessons. And there was something about it that was very intriguing. It took a, it took a while for me to become more devoted to it uh, because it's such a rich music. 
And when I got into Cornish, I really had only been playing classical guitar for about a year and a half. And I kind of just barely got in by the seat of my pants, to be honest with you. That's a pretty phenomenal accomplishment. Well, yeah, I think, you know, I had to work really hard when I got in there because I was certainly at the bottom of the barrel. And I knew that weeding out was something that they, that they was a natural thing there. So I worked uh, really hard. And then, um, like I said, more and more that I listened to classical and jazz because Cornish has a great jazz program as well. Uh, the more I started to hear tonalities that I never heard in the rock world that I was playing in. And I became more and more invested into it. Uh, but composing actually didn't even start until I was 32. So I was into classical guitar at 19, into Cornish at 21, and uh, was fully focused on being a performing classical guitarist. That's what I did when I was in my 20s. Um, and then it was... You played at my, mom's, yeah, played at my yeah. mom's uh, funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I've played a few of those in the... It's beautiful. Yeah. Matt, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, I got a lot. Uh, Randy, it's fantastic to have you here because we've had a running start. I've heard a lot about Randy before the show. And this is sort of a Randy and Eric question, unless you yourself, Kevin, are also a musician. And what my ah. question is, were you a prodigy? Was it just something that from day one, there it is, and it came natural? Not, I'm, I'm not a prodigy at all. Um, I think I always liked music since I was a little kid. And to be quite honest with you, I'm very competitive. So that probably, and I'm really stubborn. So um, being really competitive and really stubborn. That's a good combination to have. Seriously, I'm competitive, I'm stubborn. And uh, I work, I work hard if I like something, if, if, yeah. If I'm invested into something, passionate about something, I will work my guts out to achieve the goal. And composing does not come easy to me. It is laborious. But it's also a beautiful thing because um, I enjoy the experience of composing a lot. But, yeah, thank you for asking. Not a prodigy at all. Go ahead, Matt. Earlier today and last night, I, I always go out for trivia. I'll be up for hours and hours looking up. I was reading on Richie Blackmore, who was the lead for Rainbow and Deep Purple, and he started at a young age like Steve Miller. Steve Miller was actually taught by Les Paul himself how to play. I read about Jeff Beck and, my God, the Yardbirds, other things. So when you say this competitive thing, that's a must. It's a given. You have to have that because you're kind of one-on-one if you versus the world. And if you don't have that, nobody's going to give it to you. Those are great yeah. qualities yeah. because you're on your own out there doing it. And they all have that. Well, this well, is what I, I was in. Go ahead. Oh, when I got to Cornish, I, I think that there were 11 or 12 of us classical guitar players there. And again, I was at the very bottom. So that, you know, being competitive helped because when I looked, I was intimidated. I was like, wow, these guys could really play well. And, and who am I to even be here? 
Um, but I knew that if I was going to be able to stay around there and be accepted amongst the community, I was going to have to work at it. And so, yeah, that competitive nature sort of helped uh, quite a bit, without a doubt. Good. Well, you That's know what? You know what, guys? Since we've been talking about Randy and his music, I think to give the audience an idea of what it is that he does do, I think it would be pretty awesome to play a song from you. What do you think? Um, so, Randy, let's talk about Garden. How did you come up with Garden? Where did that come from? Well, this is this is a great little story. Um, Garden was the very first classical piece that I wrote with the intention of finishing. So prior to this, I probably would every once in a while write a few ideas out and then just throw them away because I, I wasn't a composer. I only maybe wrote occasionally just to uh, break up, you know, all the performances and rehearsals and everything else I was doing. Uh, but how Garden came about is I had been in a, uh, a relationship with somebody for a while and that came to an end, and that person had a beautiful garden they used to tend to, and I used to love to like hang out at their place and watch them garden. And uh, on the way home from work one night, I have a Jeep and I had the top down. Uh, I had pulled up to a uh, intersection and I, I got this great sense of floral smell in the Jeep. It was powerful. And it brought back all these memories of that person and their garden and 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 i felt pretty distraught and i did i just didn't know how to express that and so i remember feeling kind of tore up as i got back to my house i went inside and i thought well i don't have a punching bag so i can't hit that to get these emotions out and it was weird it was like i grabbed the guitar and that song garden just started to just form immediately. The, the, the initial text, the melody, and it was calming for my spirit to work through that emotional state by writing this song. So it took a while, as I mentioned, it was the first song that I wrote with the intention of finishing. It wasn't the first song I finished. I don't think I finished it Till about another four years, but I had, uh, I had the music and the melody and about half the lyrics finished really quickly, and it was a great way for me to express that. Anyway, there you go. You remember Mason Williams, who did classical gas, that instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the state of Washington, and I might pronounce mispronounce the river. I think it was the Manitoba River or something very similar, but he was mesmerized with that, with his still string, and he would watch it, the current, the flow, everything, the rocks, and he performed, composed classical gas, watching the flow of that river, just sitting there, he himself yeah. and nature, and that's what came out through his guitar. So getting back to a few moments ago, I mentioned I love the experience of writing, even though it's really laborious. That's part of the experience. You take real life experiences and um, you, you, you know, if I was a painter or if I was a dancer, if I was some other medium of art, you try to express it, hopefully, 
through those mediums with me, it's beautiful that I have music to express those emotions and feelings. So uh, when I write, I, I really go to beautiful places in my mind. And I, uh, I think of stories and I think of what something would feel like if you heard it. Like when I wrote a piece about winter, I tried to imagine what it would feel like if the music was to describe how cold it was. And it was really fun to be able to do things like that. So I totally get what you're saying about Mason writing against that because I also love nature too. I write about nature a lot. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to do. So, so when you're writing a piece, like, that sounds like me. I was too close to the microphone. When you're writing a piece, are you visualizing, like in pictures, and then putting in in music, or are you putting yourself in the scene and listening to it? And probably, then probably, probably both. Probably, probably both. both. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any formulas for how I write, necessarily. Um, I, I enjoy the experience of finding out what's going to happen every time I write a brand new piece because there's new experiences of how I go about writing it and how the information gets to me, how I go about developing it, um, and some new tonalities that I find along the way, new rhythms, new something that I haven't done before. So it's always new and always a lot of fun. You know, and when you... When you had the opportunity to um, smell the smell all the garden stuff that when you were in your car, and then yeah. you had the inspiration when you got home, there, that I'm I'm a firm believer that the inspiration comes from the other side or comes from God, whatever you'd like to call him on the other side, and that sometimes that that presents itself in a creative work of art that is just wonderful, and this is one of those that is just wonderful. So why don't we why don't we play this? rendition of Randy Hathaway and his song, Garden.
And that is Randy Hathaway. And uh, that's from his double album, which has been out for a little bit of time, but it's doing it's doing really quite well, and you're doing really good work with it. And that is um, Garden. Before we go on, I got it. I do have to say, who is that voice? Who is the young oh, lady singing? That's Whitney Lyman. And uh, I got a great story. So I used to be the co-founder and executive director of the Seattle School of Music. And uh, somewhere around 2008, we, we needed to bring on um, a female vocal instructor. And Whitney was one of the people who uh, came in and uh, applied for the job. And uh, she was one of the two female instructors I brought on. But when I was listening to her demo tape, because i that's part of, you know, uh, if you're going in uh, to teach, you would, you know, fill out an application or put in a resume and then and then hand over a demo tape. I was listening to her demo tape. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the voice I've been wanting on Lebeau Tango and Garden. And I tried to describe that quality of voice to some of my musical colleagues or vocal colleagues. And uh, it... it it didn't seem like I was connecting. So when I heard her voice, I said, that's it. That's the quality I want for these songs. And she did a bang up job. People love her voice. If you get a chance to listen to LeBeau Tango, uh, there are samples on my website. And she sings in French. Outstanding. Outstanding. She's got a simply gorgeous voice. Yeah. And then we put a wonderful classical guitarist, Jessica Papkoff with her and Jessica plays uh, duets with Whitney Lyman on two tracks and then DJ Killian, another vocalist on another two tracks. So big uh, kudos to Jessica Papkoff for uh, doing the uh, the guitar on uh, four voice and guitar pieces on the album. We should talk about uh, DJ a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, she is so something if, else. Yeah, if you go to the yeah, she's so beautiful, and her husband Bob is just fantastic. So if you go on my album and you look, uh, there are two other vocalists. Uh, I wrote a piece for male voice in guitar called Psalms, and that's sung by Bob Tangney, and he is married to DG Killian, who sings on a Song of Songs and Song of the Ballerina on the other disc. So we've got three vocalists on the album. And uh, DJ and I go all the way back to Cornish as well. And she runs a wonderful choir in Seattle area called the Firelight. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if they call them choral or choir. Firelight, I'll just say Firelight Choir until I know better. Uh, and Eric and I have both heard them perform live. They just knock it out of the park. And I might be collaborating with them down the road. It just so happens that I uh, I wrote a choral piece last year that's a cappella, no guitar no involved. Kidding. No and kidding. And she, uh, you know, I met him uh, for dinner earlier this Probably month when I was in Seattle. Boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> met him for dinner, and I talked the piece way up. And then I felt like, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. They're going to listen to the piece. And be like, what is he talking about? Oh, no but way. thank goodness I heard back from her. And she is um, very, uh, very enthusiastically interested in the, the choral piece. 
not surprised. Was very, very, very excited. She, and, she loves yeah, her CDs, loves so I'm not surprised at all. And she talked, uh, she talked about the integrity of the album as a whole. Yeah, and, you know, so so she knows the quality of the yeah. composition. I'm just not surprised. Yeah. And her choir is, it's an exceptional choir, man. Yeah, I, you know, there's all kinds of forms of music out there to love. And choir music maybe in these days doesn't get the props from you know popular from popular culture out there, and it it is deservedly needs it deservedly needs more attention because there is so much going on behind, it, especially when you have artists like DG running things that can add so much to it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's exceptional. Matt, you had a comment. Yes, something that I've noticed about musicians at your level composers at your level randy they're their own worst critic and i greatly admire that when i'm doing my <laughs> obscure research i will find the biggest bands that i idolize the ones i grew up with the ones from the 70s 80s 60s doo-wop era and sure enough these songs these products that i love so much so often they'll condemn their own work, even though it hit platinum and everything. Yeah. And so here you have done a beautiful piece and then you have the constructive criticism on yourself and that drive, you're your own worst critic and it just spawns a greatness. I'm going to use the word greatness. That was greatness, what we've heard so far. Yeah. When I write, I, um, I'm hard on myself. It just can't be good. I can write good all day long, every day, and produce tons of music. And that's not good enough for me. It has to be better than good. So I, I have to get myself to a place where 99% of everything I have written on the page rings true to me. And it feels like this is it. This is what I want. This is what I believe in. And that's one of the reasons it's so laborious is getting to that place of being able to um, accept what you're doing as an artist and what you're creating. And so, uh, but when I do, it, th there's also a sense of confidence to the point where if even if I got somebody who didn't like it and I got not a, a great review on it, I wouldn't care. Because if I like it, if I've gone through all of that difficulty of writing it and accepting it, then, then it's a done deal with me randy you you have you've got a lot of people in the community that you work with both in seattle and yakima where do you come up with all these people i mean how many people were working on this album wasn't it like 16 or 17 or 18 and yeah, different parts yeah there's there's 18 musicians on the album and then we had 10 artists do uh the sheet music covers <laughs> and and the album cover so that's 28 Plus, I brought in one of my uh, uh, former professors and good friend, Roger Nelson, to help me do some coaching uh, occasionally uh, in the studio and, and in uh, rehearsals. And then you've got the engineer. Oh, and, you know, and then you've got people who come in and do some uh, photography for you. So pretty soon, you know, we're talking well over 30 people in the community who are artists who had uh, an impact. <clears throat> on this project as a whole. So I do love to collaborate. I try to you know, bring everybody yeah. in. 
It was, um, I enjoyed because I, I was living with Randy while he was producing this CD. And I, you know, I'll confess something to you, Randy. There was a yeah. time when, when you were away visiting your parents and I yeah. was uh, taking care of Sheba and I was looking for her one day. So I went upstairs to look for her and I saw in your workspace, you know, your calendar yeah, and your whole list of events, your checkoff list. And I called it your war room. Yeah. Because it had because it had all these details that you wanted to do, you know, bake the album, yeah. write this, write this. You had all these notes. And yeah. when you came back into town, you would go up into that room and you would work all day. I yeah. mean, 12, 14 hours just about every day and make calls. And when you wait, when you got around to getting into the engineer, getting into work, uh, record, and then going and work with the uh, engineer. It yeah. was relentless. That was like a whole nother level of producing that CD. It wasn't, it wasn't just recording it and then walking away. You went in there and you guys discussed at length, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think most people would be shocked if they really, really, and I mean really knew what kind of time and effort it takes to to do a project like this. You know, the when people would... Uh, always ask artists, well, can't you do this part-time? Can you do this? You know, there is no part-time. There is no spare time. You do this all the time and you don't even have enough time when you're doing it. Like you're, you're ripping a 12 hour day and you're like, I don't have enough time, you know, and you'll go like seven days a week and you'll just keep going and going and going. So, uh, but yeah, when we worked, every little step of the way, it was just a huge monumental amount of work. But it but it paid off because, you know, you have a goal, or at least I had a goal. You have a vision of how good this music can sound, how beautiful it, it, it can be. And you also want the people who are recording it to feel well represented. You know, they feel really good. And the artists, that they feel really good about the art that they put forth, you know, um, because I, I remember it wasn't just easy for you to contact well i hear this musician playing this there was yeah. a whole discussion with them a whole um opening story with each of these musicians <clears throat> to pull out of them or to communicate with them what you wanted from the piece right yeah and and just the fact of how we ended up with 18 musicians in the first place the first communication so I'll back up a little bit, just so you understand. I didn't uh, aim or even thought that I was going to bring 18 musicians on board. Uh, I thought maybe nine. I needed like a, a four guitarists, a uh, three vocalists, a flutist, and violist. So I was like, okay, I'm going to need nine musicians. That's a lot of people. And one of the very first people I went to recruit, a guy named Jason Williams, I sat down with him and I was telling him about the project. And, uh, and he said, well, I'd like to do a couple pieces, but I think, oh, everyone can see and hear you. <laughs> um, he said, I'd like to do a couple, but I've got other projects on my own. And then he said, I think some of the other guys you're probably going to ask are going to be in the same ballpark. So uh, just right from the very get-go, happened to realize I was going to have to recruit more and more guitar players until it ended up being 13. We have 13 classical guitarists on the album. And uh, some of them just play one piece. Some play two, three, or four pieces. Uh, that in itself took a lot of finessing. 
to try to, to try to get that going uh, because everybody's schedules and stuff. And then, like Eric was saying, who's who's going to play on what part on what song? Some people are going to be. I've got a couple pieces that are kind of Spanish oriented, flamenco ish, and require some of that type of classical flamenco style skills. So there are some guys in the communities and gals who are uh, a little bit more, um, uh, uh, how would you say, uh, rooted in, in, in that type of music. Uh, so then you're making a lot of decisions about, you know, where, where you put everybody, what vocalist you put on what tunes. And, you know, DJ has a great, great vocal tracks on her tunes and Whitney Lyman, as you heard with Garden, did great with uh, that and Lebeau Tango. So yeah, there's a lot of thought going in with what musicians are going to fit where. And these and then, weren't all the No, no, we had we had some musicians. Uh, that, and actually, I should bring this up because this will lead into Exodus pretty nicely. Graham Banfield probably recorded more minutes than anybody else on the album as far as a classical guitarist. And uh, Graham is just great. Currently, he's living in New York, but he's from Woodville, Washington. And uh, so Graham and I have a little history. The fact that he was, uh, I think, his freshman year at Cornish, they threw him together with a uh, vocalist. And he, uh, he had to perform a piece of mine at Cornish, which was really great. That's the first time I met Graham. Fast forward four years afterwards, Graham won the Northwest Guitar Competition. And uh, and then fast forward a little bit more, the next thing you know, he's he's off getting his master's doctorates in music, and he's just kicking butt. And uh, I had been in communication with Graham saying, Graham, I want you to you know come record this guitar solo I have called Winter's Arrival. So he came out. And he's in the studio. He happened to bring a girl along who he was dating at the time named Julia Posey, who was from Italy and spoke uh, only Italian, I guess, or she didn't speak any English. Um, and Graham was so wonderful in the studio. I had a great time while we recorded a piece called Winter's Arrival. And the engineer loved him. We went out and we were having a drink after the studio session. And I said, Graham, I really want to bring you back for this piece called Exodus. It's a monumental work. It's a big work. It's my biggest work. I just got to find a violist. And he says, what about Julia? And I said, well, tell me, what, what about Julia? And he said, well, she's a violist. <laughs> I'm like, Julia's a violist? The girl you're dating here? Yeah, she's a violist. And she's been training since she was four years old in Italy. Oh wow! And and we've played together, so we know each other's style, and so it was like totally meant to be. And so I'm like, wow, okay, they're about ready to leave Seattle in a few days and head to Canada, where he was getting uh, his master's, uh, and they were going to be on the road, driving. And I said, well, how about I send you guys the score? You guys take a look at it, and if you guys think it's worthy, then maybe I bring you back uh, in the winter. And a few days later, they got the score and they said, we're in. So the money that I paid Julia, she pretty much used it for a plane ticket to fly out from Italy to record Exodus. And and she still couldn't speak any English at that time, right? Even though it had been a few months. And I was like, why can't she speak English in a few months? 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Graham was proficient in Italian. And so it was great because when <laughs> we had him isolated in different rooms and I needed to get information over to, uh, uh, to Julia, Graham would interpret uh, wonderfully. So that was a real godsend. And, but there's, you know, when you're doing music too, even the engineer found ways to uh, communicate with Julia. Uh, that was just absolutely musically wonderful. So Julia came out and just knocked a home run on the viola. That girl can play uh, without a doubt. And uh, her training in Italy is like the real deal. The real, real deal. And Graham, big home run as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I actually brought him back for another piece. I brought him back for a piece called uh, Autumn for guitar solo. So Graham did two guitar solos and my biggest work. Pretty fun stuff. Absolutely. Now, Michael Maxwell, he's he's outing you a little bit. He says he, he wishes he could show your the 15-year-old Randy um, um, versus where he's gone musically today. He was good at rock early on, but his classical music is in another universe. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know Michael. Michael and I played in opposed, opposing uh, bands when we were teenagers. Uh, and Michael was always a gentleman. I remember that well. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as all teenage bands do, you know, they come and they go. I went off to Seattle, started studying classical music. Uh, Michael, I think, is living over in New York now, and I think he's still doing music. But, yeah, it's what a, what a light-year journey from being a teenager doing heavy metal and hard rock to, uh, you know, being a young man doing classical. Go ahead, Matt. If you remember Bowser from Sha Na Na, they got no, him. I don't, I don't remember that. I don't remember who's Sha Na Na. They got him initially from opera, and they, a greaser band recruited him. Like Jimmy Page was recruited from the R Yardbirds because he was such a sensational studio musician. And then Conway Twitty, Glenn Campbell, they were Beach Boys at one time. Just like yourself, yeah. Randy, you kind of wear all hats. Yeah. I remember hanging out at Randy's house. I think it was after school one time. And you pulled out your electric guitar. And you were calling out, what do you want to hear? And I'd call out different uh, bands, you know, play this, play this solo from Doobie Brothers or from the Eagles. And he'd just go into it, play all this stuff. And it sounded just like those guys. Yeah. It, it's amazing that you can, uh, it, it's a skill that I wish I had, but uh, it, you've worked very hard at it your entire life. Um, and you've done really yeah. good. By the way, Michael also says that he found a Northwest firelight corral. Corral. So, okay. It's not choir. It's corral. And I, I had a sort of suspicion. It probably was. They're great. You should check them out. Uh, without a doubt, they are playing all over Seattle. They've toured Europe a couple times. They are a community choir of at least 70 plus people. Huge. And um, huge. the energy that they put forth is great. I used to do a charity concert series out in Seattle. And in the early uh, stages of uh, DG directing this choir, I used to bring them up uh, on a couple of our, our charity concerts. And they just blow the doors off every time. Blow the doors off. So please go check those guys out. They even performed during COVID. Didn't they do a... Yeah, they would do uh, the kind of like what we're doing. Uh, 
kind of a remote choral concerts where everybody had to learn their music at home. And then they would sing like this, which was pretty, pretty cool. That'd be really hard to do, wouldn't it? But it would be very, it would have many, many challenges. And I think they are just starting to get back to live rehearsals like in the last month. And oh, I hope that continues for most people. I'd hate to see another lockdown. I'd hate to see another, you know, thing go on. But, you know, so be it if it happens. But, uh, yeah. 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 Go ahead, Matt. This is a Randy and Eric question. In regards to music, is it something where you have to be gifted or could anybody just kind of pick it up, be trained, and it gradually develops? What's your call on that? Randy, Eric, I should answer this. Yeah, you go. <laughs> because if anybody can, anybody can play music. Yeah. They don't have to be good. I have, I am not, I worked hard to play music. And I wouldn't consider myself a musician, even though at one time I had pretty good, I had pretty good uh, ability with my horn because I worked at it. But as far as uh, knowing music, as far as being a musician, I think anybody can be trained to be a musician and reach a certain level with a certain amount of work. Yeah. I was reading on the Beatles and one of them reported that he believed all four of them could not read music. And I believe Eddie Van Halen couldn't read music, but those guys didn't have to, did they? Louis Armstrong couldn't. Um, there's even but, a, there's even a, a uh, I heard this and I'd like to double check it, but I even heard Pavarotti does not read music. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That's a shame. And I did when I was growing up. I learned everything by ear because I didn't know how to read music. So if you don't know how to read music, how are you going to learn it? Well, you better have an ear or you better develop your ear pretty much. Better listen. Yeah. And really, to be honest with you, having both those skills is really good. Uh, Actually, uh, it's it's a great double threat, having uh, the ability to learn with your ear and also be able to read music because they both teach you things the other does not. Absolutely true. And by the way, Eric or Matt, I'll verify that the Beatles did not, could not, and never did. Paul McCartney to this day does not write or read music. He does everything by ear, by feel. That's That's just remarkable. It it is. But go ahead. We remember the name Chuck Mangione, and he had a he had a lot, but he had one in particular that hit the tops. I forget the title of it. Feels so good. Yes, but he was on a t- talk show, and he said that was a mistake. He said he knew he was hitting the wrong key, but they recorded it, and that was the one that went with it. And all the time you hear a mistake that, no, 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 that's right, that's good and everything. I think jazz uh, guys are more like there are no mistakes in music, you know. and I like that sense of freedom, and that happens a lot when you're doing improv. Really, when you're doing improv, I, I really kind of believe there probably really isn't any mistakes, you know. I, I agree. Go ahead, Matt. I was watching years ago, this was, I believe, back in the 60s, an interview with Johnny Mathis. This is in the 60s or 70s. And he was on some talk show. It might have been Mike Douglas. I'm not sure. But he was going into great detail how he handpicked the musicians, the producer, what studio he wanted to use, on and on, just the right people, the right ones. 
And he said, we spent twice as long. It took us a year and a half to get this project done. And we were so happy. We could only think platinum. He gave it to, and I don't know who the boss would be, director, producer, whatever. He said, the guy played both sides, dropped it in a wastebasket and walked away. And here, all of this work with musical geniuses. And he says that that happens sometimes, he said. Yeah, they yeah. just dropped a new album from Prince. It was pretty much the same thing. Uh, the Prince Estate, I think it was this week, just dropped another album of his that he wrote back in the 90s. And Princeton, <coughs> he wrote all this music and was all sort of, you know, albums sort of contain a sort of uh, thread, a same thread, a shared thread thought through the whole thing and he he shelved it for whatever reason and they found it uh the estate found it and they loved it and it felt uh pertinent to what's going on today you know politically and socially and all that kind of stuff and they're just releasing it boy you know maybe that's why he didn't like it then because it didn't really fit the time that uh it was written and Randy, we're going to play Exodus at the top of the hour and it's it's we we're taking it like a 6 minute uh excerpt from it it's actually a 14 minute song which is i encourage you to listen to the entire thing it's 17. just really 17 sorry <laughs> <laughs> i was that's that's right it, it was an honest wonderful <clears throat> piece of work and we're going to play that at the top of the hour so that eric can go to the bathroom thank you and <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> I Thanks, know you man. have you have needs and, and stuff, so, but but let's talk about Exodus. How did that song come to your mind or come to be? Boy, I'll tell you. Uh, when I uh, I think I had written a piece called American Sonata before I started writing Exodus, and I had this idea. When you listen to the opening theme, it sounds like the har the harmony. Uh, starts real tight and small and then opens up. It'll just kind of broaden out. And I kept thinking about trying to create something with on the guitar musically that would feel like it was opening up. And uh, that's exactly what I, uh, I, I came up with almost instantaneously is the opening theme that you'll hear on the guitar. And it had that huge American sound. And I just did not know where that was coming from because I had written American Sonata and I wasn't for sure where that was coming from either because at that point I had never listened to any American composers. Uh, but I just went with it. I was like, okay, I'll just keep going with it. And uh, I, I remember I threw viola in there. At one point I played with a violist uh, in a group with D.G. Killian. And Bob Tangney, we we had a oh, we had a really fun uh, small ensemble of friends, and uh, we had a violist in there. And I remember the violist looking through an earlier composition of mine and saying, "Oh, I wish it was written for the viola." So I got that in my head. And anyway, so I wrote uh, the piece for viola and guitar, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At first, I thought it was going to be five, six, seven minutes. And it just kept growing. And, you know, it ended up being 17 minutes and it took two years to write. I had to take a couple breaks and write some other music just to get away from it for a while. But the theme, since I had that big, strong American theme, I always enjoyed reading and watching documentaries about the 19th century migration out 
to the West. You know, some of it for better, some of it for a lot worse. But regardless, it intrigues me because it's our history. And immediately I thought about that as uh, I started writing that music was it was it was a journey. And it was going to have some beautiful moments and it was going to have some purely sad moments along with it. But I think that uh, it's going to have to tell a story. So I thought of a story in my head as I was writing it where I was along, <clears throat> along the journey. And I mean, you know, I have family who came out uh, from the East and I've heard stories about them coming out. And I've talked to my friends about family coming, their families coming out one or two generations ago coming out. So we you know it's not like we're that far removed uh, uh, from that era of the 19th century migration. So that was just fascinating me through books through documentaries, through just hearing stories that my grandparents would talk about, and the music just seemed to fit that. So I uh, uh, called it Exodus, and uh, there's a lot of moods involved in it. There is indeed. It was it was a really good. It, it was fun for me to play with because we we you and I decided on what we were going to uh, mix together to play it, and so that we could condense it down a little bit. But I encourage yeah. you buy the album, go to randyhathaway.com, buy the album and uh, or the the CD, and because there's a special story that I want you to tell about you submitting the CD, and they said nope, too late, but they gave you something oh. else to do. And so oh, yeah. that was an interesting story to say, to talk about. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm the, I'm the only person who markets the CD and, and it's all a big learning curve, of course. Um, so I'm willing to put it out there anywhere to have anybody review it. Uh, I put it out there to hundreds of radio stations. It's gotten a tremendous amount of play, which is just great. But uh, I tried to get it into the Grammys back in 2018, and um, I had to be a member for me to be able to submit it. And so I filled out their application, and at first they had denied me because on the grounds that uh, they didn't see that I was very active as a musician in the community, which just blew me away. And so I went back to the guy and said, are you joking me? Not active in the community? I said, I can refute that, like, gr greatly. So he says, okay, well, write us a letter and let us know everything that, you know, you're doing. So I just pummeled them with articles that came out about the CD, <laughs> about all the radio play the CD was getting, uh, about all the things that I had collaborated in the community with people, that I ran a music school, on and on and on, like, and then all of a sudden they got back to me and they said, oh, you know what? We do see that you're worthy of being a member. You are active in the community. We are going to accept your membership. I said, great. Can I now throw my CD in? They said, no, you're past the deadline. Fuckers. So between that time of trying to get my membership with them, uh, they, uh, yeah, they took their own time, and like I said, uh, 
they didn't do any of their homework in the very beginning. That's one of the things that it really kind of gets under my skin. But, you know, I forgive them at this point because you have to, you got to move on. But I had linked my website into my application and nobody went over to my website to look at any of the things I had been doing. So when they came back and said they denied me for the lack of being like very vibrant in the community musically, I went, all right. Did anybody look at my website? So I had to go back and write a letter and just link every individual thing that I had been doing and the album had been doing. But anyway, it's all good. It was a learning experience. I do plan to put out another album. It's in the works right now. And uh, going for the big fish is what I'm going after. There's no joke about it. And not Grammy stuff. I'm talking everything. I'll, I'll go, you know, full on. And so these things are uh, had taught me quite a bit of stuff. So so no fooling. Well, I'm looking forward to you going going down the red carpet and meeting some interesting people, and then uh, getting called up. And have you started your speech yet? No, but I got my cowboy hat ready. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, that's awesome. So we're going to play this. Uh, um, this is Randy Hathaway. Well, cowboy hat. Is that is that a hint that this is going to be more Americana music that you're working on? Yeah. Should I go get my hat real quick just while we listen to this? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll play this, and Eric can use the body, and you get your hat, and and Matt, you and I will sit here. So um, um, this, is, this is Randy Hathaway, and the name of the song is Exodus.
And that is Randy Hathaway and the uh, album that comes or the CD that comes from is Classical Guitar in America. And I was thinking about that, Randy, while we were listening to that. Have you thought about doing um, a screenplay for for a movie? Because your 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 music has such feel to it that it, that yeah. you would make yeah. that would make sense. Yeah, I've been told that a lot by a lot of folks uh, in the industry. Uh, a lot of radio personalities have mentioned that it's very cinematic, and I agree. There's a whole bunch of selections on there, and uh, I would love to be able to license uh, as much of this music out to television or film as possible uh, is something that I need to research into more. Uh, some of the research I've looked into, uh, I'm not too excited about. There are a lot of companies that have propped up or popped up over the last five, 10 years that are music libraries that you can go grab music from and put it in your film or whatever. And they pay the artist almost nothing I'm not interested in that. Uh, so I, I really need to look for music supervisors and I need somebody in the community to, uh, to show me how to go about a con, you know, connecting with some music supervisors in the industry and get this music to them. So anybody out there knows, uh, have them tell me because uh, I'll be ready to go. I've done well on getting it on the radio. I put a lot of effort into to, uh, reaching out to radio stations across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., and it's got a tremendous amount of radio play. Um, over, a, over a thousand shows on the radio and counting, uh, and that I, I could have never expected that, uh, and that's been a beautiful thing. But yeah, it, it, it needs I need to go to that next step. But at the same time, it's also about time because I'm, I'm writing now a new album and I've, I've got to have time to concentrate on uh, putting that together too. So uh, I could certainly use a little help <laughs> when it comes to licensing. You're, wearing, wearing, you're yeah. wearing a cowboy hat. That's got to yeah. have something to do with your new album, I'm a thinking. No, it has something to do with my Jeep. It's uh, I got the, got the top down in my Jeep and uh, it is a sun saver. I'm pretty fair skinned, so I burn easy. But I, I like it. It's also got this little. You're going about seventy miles per hour down the highway. Got a little drawstring. <laughs> Keep your hat on. What every classical guitarist wears a cowboy hat like that. It's mandatory, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Yeah. So, how how far along are you with the new album? Um, I would say that I'm probably just past the halfway point as far as new works go. Um, the piece Exodus that you just heard uh, is going to be on the new album, but it I'm going to uh, try my hand at expanding it to guitar and chamber orchestra. Ooh, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, it already has that orchestral feel to it already. I had to tell the musicians in the studio, I'm like, I know you guys are only like two musicians, but do everything you can to make this feel like you're a big orchestra. And they did. It's got a big sound to it. They both really did beautifully with it. <laughs> 
But now I can hear putting in winds, more strings, uh, horns, uh, some timpani. I think a chamber orchestra would be about the right size. And I've got a colleague over here in central Washington who's an assistant conductor of the Yakima Symphony. Ooh, and awesome. I uh, would like to collaborate with him potentially. Awesome. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. So, uh, but that requires me also to uh, to rework the whole entire 17-minute work into a full orchestral piece. That's a lot of work along with writing new material. But I'm on my way, you know, like I said, a little over halfway there. So, so Randy, you've been playing a long time. You've been working at this for a long time. You've been writing. You've been directing people. You've been producing your work. Which do you enjoy the most? Do you ever want to just get out there and play? No. <laughs> oh, okay. But thanks for asking. <laughs> I, haven't actually, I haven't actually played uh, professionally. Well, I played on one track on my album because I sort of felt like I needed to make a cameo appearance. So <laughs> I play on American Sonata. And, and that was a joyful. I, I had a blast in the studio. I call it the hot seat when you have to be in the studio and you got the mic in front of you. I had the best time in the hot seat when I was in the studio. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, my playing days are far gone. I have no interest in it's it's kind of like you should talk about that a little bit it's kind of like i i uh i used to drive the race car now i want to build it and i i enjoy building the race car now instead of driving it now is it i, I have an analogy for you is it kind of like had a wreck <laughs> <laughs> i haven't i've actually been pretty good thank god yeah my father was a scratch golfer he, and he could play, he could play two par and he almost turned professional. And I equate wow. this kind of like, kind of like you in that, um, as he got a little older and he mm -hmm. couldn't play as much practice as much, he wasn't as good as he once was. So he, it no longer was fun for him. Now you are still, I'm willing to bet an extraordinary guitar player. You just can't meet your own standards. Am I correct in that? There's a little bit of that for sure. Um, I think sometimes I look back because when you're in college, when I was going through the program at Cornish, it's like going through boot camp. It's like the best shape you'll ever be in is when you're in college and you are just going at it relentlessly day after day, three, four hours a day of practicing plus every day for years your technique goes way up. Uh, so there are times where I'll go, wow, I used to be able to play that song. I can't even like attempt the very first measure of it at this point. I can still play a few of the easy ones. And every once in a while, I will pick up my guitar and I will play through a half a dozen simple pieces. And it does bring me some joy. But it brings me joy just playing by myself. I don't play for anybody. And um, it, it's almost like a nice little break from composing. So it's like I completely did the flip. I used to write a little bit to break myself from performing, just as something to doodle with. And now um, I play every once in a while just to take a break from composing. And I do enjoy it. But to actually go back 
to where I was, which I could, I undoubtedly could, would take me two or three years, I'd have to drop composing completely and concentrate on performing for two or three years with heavy amounts of work. So there would be no compositions anymore. Uh, there, you, there, you need to keep writing. Yeah, I'm going to keep writing. That's that is the biggest joy. Period. But when you mentioned about all the things that I've done, I love all the different aspects of it because there's so many. Like even producing the sheet music and, like I said, having to uh, typeset all the notes. That is astronomically time consuming. But even uh, typesetting the notes. Getting the artwork from the artist, getting it onto there, working with the, the printers and stuff, even that is really fun. But I think the funnest part, hands down, is when I'm in a room with another musician playing my music and I'm collaborating with them on that score, whether they're going to perform it live or they're going to record it. Nothing beats that experience. That is my probably my most favorite experience, is being there one-on-one -on -one with the musicians. That's great. Love Matt, it. Matt, you have to say? I think my question was already answered. You're always a musician and you could always play. And as the aging process hits us, hey, there's a gazillion different things you could do. So you could always produce great music on stage if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been there. I've done that. It, it was certainly a time in my life in my 20s and my early 30s that uh, I was a live performer, and that's what I thought I would just continue to do. And uh, the fact that composition came along at age 32, uh, that has intrigued me like nothing else in music ever has. And there was kind of a step process because I, I was playing in this group with DG and Bob, who I mentioned earlier, and... Um, Everybody was allowed to bring music to the table for everybody in the group to try out and see who wanted to play. And nobody ever hardly brought guitar music, which is fine because it's that's uh, there's not a huge, huge repertoire of uh, classical guitar music for ensemble out in the world. So I had to do all my own arranging. Uh, and that took a lot of time. And so uh, but I, I found out that I love to arrange and I did really well at it. And somehow that just kind of morphed into composing after a couple years. It was kind of like uh, that little stepping stone <laughs> that got me into composing. Uh, and once I got there, then it was, wow, I can really go and, and create things from my emotions, which is really awesome. The, and yeah, and there's a lot of divine intervention, as you mentioned earlier, Kevin. Um, I have to honestly say with with no compositional training uh, and and coming to composing a little bit later in life, there is so much divine intervention to the art that I've done every step of the way, every piece I write, uh, I absolutely believe in a higher power and that I connect with that and that I uh, talk through the process of what I'm doing with that higher power. So 
there you go. Randy, it's amazing when you look at it and you go, you know, the songs that you're producing on the album, which is classical guitar in America, and the and the next one that you got coming, um, that there are people around the world that are going to listen to that music a long time from now, and it's going to touch their heart uh, in a way that that they haven't been touched before. And it's yeah. it's, a real, it's a real gift for you to be able to put that out into the world and to make it happen. And congratulations. When, when you hear of somebody who has a really positive experience listening to your music that you've created, that also is like nothing else. And I remember that even when I was a player and I would get a brand new piece of music in front of me and I would start going through it. And if I connected with it, I would get so excited. I mean, I just couldn't contain myself. I'd be so excited about this new composition that I was working on and, and so engaged. And when I hear of other people engaging with my music and having positive experiences, I know exactly how it feels. And it just makes me feel honored beyond, honored beyond. Matt? I like it when musicians keep the life and the soul going with a song. Paul McCartney did Tell There Was You. He didn't write it. He did his link of the chain to keep life in that song. I love Willow Weep for me. And many, many have done that one. Duke Ellington has done it. Diana Washington, Chad and Jeremy. Hundreds have done that. And the life keeps going. And I see that happening to you, Randy. Isn't that a Randy Hathaway tune I'm listening to? <laughs> yeah, there's certainly, a, there's certainly a style within my music that I never tried to develop it. But it's there. If you were to go through the whole album, you will hear certain musical principles that I adhere to. They get in my ear, and I love them. Um, and uh, and you'll probably hear more of it. But, you know, little by little, I do sort of expand my horizons a little bit tonally. But there's there's certainly a style. You'll hear that. That's that's when Deidre was talking about your CD at, the, at one of their concerts. Wasn't that at... Um, Gosh, where was that at? I think it was at your release, CD release party. Okay. She was talking about the integrity that went into it. I think she was talking about the characteristics that were unique to your yeah. composition and how it carried through. And, you know, <coughs> I living with you while you were writing this stuff, <coughs> I may have heard the music as much as anybody that wasn't you. Yeah. And I still listen to that CD. In wow, fact, that's great. That's really the only CD that I listen to now because everything else is online, right? Yeah. <laughs> I still have, you know, I still put in your CD because I have it and I listen to it. And yeah. I do find a sense of peace. And I have to talk. I have to go back a couple of minutes because we were talking about um, musicians that find something to talk about, find something in themselves to share, and it touches somebody else. There's that collective consciousness. And I think Randy and I had a conversation about this so way back uh, a while ago about the collective consciousness and how we're all attached somehow. And a musician or any artist that finds a way to pull those chords and make people connect into that moment that we all share. It is a rare and fleeting thing when we can find that. And very few people get that experience that you have, that you're able to reach, Randy. It's just uh, phenomenal. 
Yeah, it's it's absolutely a blessing to be doing this. Uh, I, I, you know, especially since I didn't plan it. It's not something that I ever planned. Like I want to be a composer someday. I'll take the appropriate steps to make that happen. It just happened. But I mean, steps did happen. But I mean, it it's uh, it's amazing that I'm doing what I'm doing, and um, I'm not trying to produce thousands of works like other composers have done, hundreds or thousands. I'm trying to produce a small batch of quality compositions that really are meaningful, every single one. Uh, so I'm not a very prolific composer, but I hope to be very profound with uh, what I'm doing. And just to talk about the detail, I thought about this and I want to bring this up. And this is how crazy detail can get on me when going through this. So it's called American Sonata, and I have this three panel inside the CD. So I used a uh, red, white, and blue panel. So we've got the American flag represented, wanted to make sure that that was there. And if you look at the colors, I actually got online to find some of the old flag colors. And the engineer um, actually has some skills with, with putting these CDs together. When you, when you put them together, you have to be able to get all these pictures on the spines and the back, and you have to get the, uh, all the wording and the text on each of the CDs. So he had all the experience to do that. So I would send him information about the colors that we were going to have these CDs that were actually close to some early American colors for the flag. Uh, they're very rich. They're not all bright. You can tell that the blue is a very dark blue and the red is a very, uh, very earthy, deep, dark red. So, I mean, just the detail of going through, like, metaphorically, let's make sure that the CD, when it's opened up, it's the colors of the American flag. Hey, what are those colors of that flag? There's so many different shades. So all of a sudden, you're going up and you're looking to Wikipedia and you're like, oh, wow, these are the color schemes of these. I got to send this over to the uh, engineer. We need to find these colors. The, that detail is all the way through the album. It's all the way through every rehearsal, all the way through every composition, every no I ever did. It's details like that that nobody will ever know about that you put into it. You know, Randy, I, I, would, I would just submit to you, and, and then Eric, I'll go to you. I would just submit to you that because of your life experience, starting out at 15 in a rock and roll band and doing that and, and, and progressing with the art form and then at 31 deciding that you're going to write and then it, every part of your life has been a progression to get to where you are now and without all of it, you couldn't yeah. have done any of it. Yeah, you're correct. Absolutely. Because you kind of carry all those experiences with you, right? They just keep... Absolutely. Building up, yeah. Even the, even when I directed the music school, I did that for a half, or I did that for six years, and uh, I directed a concert charity series for three years. They sort of overlapped. Being in the administrative field, it was. I I guess I did good at it. People would say I did good at it. I didn't like it. But those experiences of managing other people and having a board and teachers and managing students and parents 
and charities. Those things really helped because I had 18 musicians I had to manage on the album. I had 10 artists I had to manage on the album. I think I was in like 60 or 70 rehearsals with various groups throughout a year and a half we recorded it. And then we spent a year and a half mixing and mastering the music. So it was like a three year endeavor of just huge amounts of work to get the recording out there. So I think, yeah, you're right. You know, you carry those experiences for better or for worse. And even when you're in them and you feel like it's worse, like, wow, this is really taxing to be directing and managing in the administrative world. You are learning things that do help you down the road. And that did help me a lot. And you even have a, have a guy that did one of the uh, um, song covers who is world famous. And he's actually sitting right here with us. Um, yeah, little Kenya. <laughs> show, show us Mr. Hall's work. Yeah, let's do that. I think I got it here somewhere. Yeah, here it is. Oh. So yeah, I, 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 like I said, Eric would go downstairs in the basement on the weekends uh, when he wasn't working and he had time off, and he would paint. And he did it as just a joyful experience, and I totally get what he was doing. So when it came time, so let me just first talk about the sheet music and the artist, because this is great. I could have made it really simple on myself and came up with one design. And all I would have had to do is come up with a design, one type of font, is change the title. Easy. But then I thought, oh man, I've got all these family and friends who are artists. How cool would it be to have a specific piece of artwork on each piece of sheet music and then uh, that well once i got that in my head i couldn't let it go i was going to have to do it and then i you know at the same time like oh no what have i done you know but i remember going downstairs and uh, i don't know if i went downstairs and asked him or upstairs but um i said hey i'd like to get a piece of artwork from you uh for one of my sheet music covers and i gave him a song to listen to and uh, he came up with this one. I'll try to get it out of there. Oh, that's cool. There, there's a good way of looking at it. That's really cool, Eric. Uh, thank you. See what that is? That's for a piece called Psalms. Yep. So the concept of the piece is that there is the sun that you can see through the center of the tree. And the tree, the psalm, as you know, is a religious connotation. And uh, it's about uh, well, a perspective, a thought, a, uh, um, a religious moment. I mean, you can interpret it uh, in that direction. And a tree represents, you know, the human tree. And then the sun behind it is the center of our hopes and dreams. And, you know, the earth behind it with the ocean, uh, the expanse of it uh, all, and then the sky with its various colors, uh, I think enriches, you know, the piece. And mm, quite frankly, you know, technically, it's got a lot, a uh, lot of room for growth. But I, I think <laughs> the concept, but I think the concept, you know, I, I feel good about the concept of the piece. So, yeah, because you I mean, think about it, if it was just a white blank piece of sheet music like this, and then I just threw some text up there, Psalms, Randy Hathaway. Just could have done that. But this this right here is way more personal. This this 
you know, brings people's artistic creations and, and, and puts it out there in the world. Um, and I would say about half of the artists, uh, like did what Eric did. They, they would had a chance to listen to the music and they would be inspired by that. And then they would create a piece of artwork. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. And, and the other half of the artists already had a beautiful, uh, portfolio, a rich portfolio and would let me go through it. And I would look at a piece of artwork and I go, ah, that's it. That piece represents the music well. But I, I'm going to show you a couple other ones because my sister, Sandra Fredrickson. Um, mm, this is a nice piece. She was the one who did the album cover. So we saw the album cover earlier. Um, and this is great because I came to her and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you for some more artwork. I had four solo guitar pieces all based off the seasons. And uh, I said, you know, I have one called Winter's Arrival, Spring Overture, Diurnal Summer, and Autumn. So I'm going to need four different, you know, uh, landscapes representing those seasons. And she had a brilliant idea. We, uh, we, our grandparents were orchardists down in what they call the Lower Valley in Central Washington. And what she did and she decided to come up, they grew a lot of different types of fruit, but she decided to come up with like a, I wonder if I took it out of the sleeve, if that would be a little less, you know, it helps a little bit, a cherry limb. And she decided to take a cherry limb and throw it into each season. So instead of trying to come up with four different seasonal images, there's your, obviously your spring, winter ends up the cherry limb is, is you know gone dormant uh, here's our autumn with the oh, cherry limb awesome. and here's her summer with cherries intact <laughs> nice so she did this beautiful, almost impressionistic thing with just a concept, which I thought was brilliant. Just took a cherry limb and put it into each one into each four seasons. So, you know, having that collaboration with the artist was just really fun. And her doing the album cover and what she did with the album cover also was was a whole lot of fun. You know, things things come about that you you wouldn't expect. And, and then all of a sudden, if you have great results, you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. I wasn't even going down that road. And that's actually kind of something that happened with the album cover. So anyway, you know, and then just even bringing my dad in, he did Song of the Ballerina. And my dad used to do art when he was in high school and he was also a pianist. And we still have a piano here, uh, but he did all the art for all of their, uh, Oh, annuals and, and their games and dances. He would do art for them. And, you know, um, and then uh, after high school, you know, he went on and was college bound and then the army and all that stuff. Right. So no art. And um, I wrote a song called Song of the Ballerina. That's about my grandmother's music box, which was his mother. And so being very personal describing about my grandmother's music box 
that he and probably my grandfather had gifted to her at some Christmas, I had to bring him in to do like the sheet music cover. So he did these little ballerinas, uh, which would be like, if you ever seen those music boxes where you pop the lid, you, you know, yeah, a little figurine uh, rotates around. That's kind of what he did. He did a beautiful job. So it was great to like, it's gorgeous. Bring in so many personal experiences and make everything like a living art. It's happening now, but it's it's all connected to something. So the song of the ballerina was written about my grandmother. And I talked about my sister and I's interaction with the, uh, the music box when we were kids. And then uh, I brought my dad in to do the sheet music artwork for that. So or my sister doing the uh, seasonal pieces because uh, that was our grandparents' orchard. Yeah, I love collaborating and I like to, to, to bring people in and, and make it feel real and, and it's happening right now kind of feel. It's, it's awesome because you also don't exhibit much of an ego as far as this because you're allowing other people to contribute in their own way and use their own brain and their own, their own style to create something that is uh, some of the whole and is better than the individual. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, yes. And one of the things about composing and even performing is you're in solitary confinement so much. And other artists are too, right? Writers and painters. You're in solitary confinement so much that it feels so good to finally collaborate with other people. Uh, that That's part of it. It's just that need to have human interactions. And what better way for me as a musician to do that with my artwork, right? Um, but as, as far as egos go, I think we all have egos and I, I certainly have an ego, but I, I certainly try to keep it in check because nobody likes a snotty person, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, I probably can, I have my, I'm certainly have my views, you know, but I, I try to keep in mind that um, I would rather be accessible to people than to be a typical, uh, I don't want to say typical. I better not, I'll back out of that one and say what sometimes people perceive in classical music as being uh, a type of music and a community of uh, people who with, you know, snotty attitudes, snarkiness. Um, I, I don't ever want to be a part of that. And it's there. I've experienced it firsthand, but it's also not there like with people like DG and Bob who are very accomplished doing great things. And when you hang out with them, you're like, wow, these people are so talented musically, so well-trained. They both played with the Seattle opera for many years. And yet they are just such kind, wonderful spirited human beings. Uh, so they're an inspiration as, as well as many others. Anyway. Randy, before we go, I would like to talk about the state of the music industry a little bit, and you, Matt okay. and Eric, you can chime in as well, uh, because my here, here's my little speech. Um, if you're listening now, what I want you to do is to go to randyhathaway.com. I want you to buy classical guitar in America. I don't want you to go and and stream it somewhere. I want you to buy it because... It's the only way that the, the, the artists today make any money uh, yeah. and they deserve to get paid for what they do because they're doing something that is good for all of us. So please 
rather than what I call pirating. I don't know if people would use that term today, but if rather than not because it's streaming, the artist, you guys need a union because the artist makes nothing when you when oh, yeah. when you're streaming like on Spotify or something like that. And I, I think it's like didn't didn't you tell me it's like point zero zero something um, yeah. every time? And so buy the music. Uh, enjoy the CD, buy the music. You know what I'd love to see you do is to put this on vinyl. That would be <laughs> sensational. I was thinking about releasing my next album on uh, Atrium. <laughs> Atrium? So that nobody can listen to it, man. Yeah, pretty much. Renee's brother knew a lot about music. He was a musician, a disc jockey. He knew a lot of famous names up in Canada. And he said more and more had to go back to performing nightclubs because we will use the term pirating. Uh, yeah. The fanfare was getting it on the house now, technology. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, I have a lot I can talk about on this subject and a, a lot of emotions <laughs> about it. <laughs> and um, first of all, it, it, it starts with the artists. If the artists did not allow themselves to be taken advantage of, we wouldn't have industries out there taking advantage of them. It's so simple. But I have managed a, a, a nonprofit before, and you can sit there and say very simple things to people in meetings. This is very simple, folks. This is what we need to do. And if they don't listen and do it, there's nothing you can do about it. So like you said, it, it, it's more than just a, yeah, it's like a union. You, you would have to get some sort of a movement, almost a revolutionary movement where artists can say, no more. We will not accept this type of pay. We will not accept this company doing these things to us. Next is, yeah, these companies. Um, so to, uh, to try to get into the Grammys, I had to become part of iTunes. I don't know why, but they would not accept a membership from an artist who was not connected to iTunes. Okay. But I couldn't just go to iTunes and say, hey, iTunes, I'm an artist. I want to be connected to you. I had to go to another company called CD Baby. So through CD Baby, I get over to iTunes. And then from there, I can get over to the Grammys and say, hey, guys, here's me. Okay, so whatever, I do that. And when I'm filling out the forms, they ask me if I want to be on all these platforms like Spotify and all the other ones. And I wrote, no, I don't want to be on those platforms. So you are a few zeros short, Kevin. It's like 0. 0.00007th of a cent per play. Um, I, I don't want to be that. And, and as far as building up fan base, you'll hear people say, well, you know what? It'll build you up a fan base. Come on. Man, I've already talked to artists in the industry who've been on Spotify for many years. They never built up a fan base from Spotify or Pandora or any of these other uh, uh, platforms. So that's just hot air. And I won't be a part of it, but I'm fine if other musicians want to be a part of it. I'm not downing on other musicians for wanting to be a part of it. Do what you feel like you need to do, seriously. And I'll do what I feel like I need to do. But I really do believe that the government needs to come in and regulate these things. I'm a firm believer of it. What we are doing is allowing 
these industries. When you do your research, you find out that um, the CEOs and the workers are making huge sums of money and they're paying the artists that they didn't even buy their music. The artist gave it to them. It's almost like they're a consignment shop and they don't have a, a brick and mortar building. Well, they might for their offices, I'm sure they do, but it's not like they have like a thousand brick and mortar offices all over the, the world selling music. So really when you think about it, uh, you could pretty much deduce that their uh, overhead is really low. So they pay their CEOs and their employees really well and they, but their employees, how they even got paid is through the musical artists. They pay them nothing, nothing. And I've heard great musical artists get on the internet and talk about how many millions of streams they got and the few hundred dollar check that they received for millions of streams. That is BS. There's a, there's, a, there's a local band here that, uh, and their name escapes me right now. It'll come to me, but uh, they've been, they've been doing, they've been doing records for like 10 years and they got, remember back in the day when, if you got a record contract, it was a really cool deal and, and you were now being represented and you had a record contract and, yeah. and these folks, well, in the small print of the contract that they signed, it basically said, we're going to front you this money, but you're going to have to pay it back through record sales. Ten years later, they're still paying that money back. Yeah, so th that actually is really common. That That is um, record companies have never just gave artists money up front and said, wow, we want to sign you. Here's free money. There's always that contingence that we're going to put up some money but you have to pay that back through album sales. And once it's paid back through album sales, then you can start building up your clout more and more. So that is an unfortunate thing because so many bands have gone broke by doing that. It also makes the record company say, hey, if you need to pay this back quicker, you need to start coming out with more popular hits. So let's say you are more of an experimental alternative type of group doing your own thing but you're not making a huge sum of money to pay back what that record company gave you all of a sudden you're having to like well we need to start writing more poppy oriented stuff that Spandau has happened ballet. Ballet. Spandau yeah, yeah, ballet. Yeah. yeah so that happens Dude, quite boys. a bit yeah. um you know there was a cool thing about in the seattle scene i'll, I'll just barely touch upon it talking about this years ago i i think uh, Susan, Susan Silver, if that rings a bell to anybody, she used to manage Soundgarden and Allison Chains and some other bands locally. And Sub Pop was involved in there. And I had a friend who worked at the Orpheum Records and stuff. Um, there was a point where, you know, clubs were not paying artists, as they always did, not a really high sum. And they would always try to tell the artists that, hey, you know, you get paid by the door. And so you need to bring your fan base in and yada, yada, yada. Well, it was sort of, I don't know if it was Susan Silver or Sub Pop or maybe a little of both, but there became a monopoly, which I thought was great, where the management and company started to um, uh, let the clubs know that, hey, all these artists that you're asking for are with us. And no, they won't play your club for free. No, they won't just pay for a small percentage of the door or beer tickets, which I actually got paid one time in beer tickets. 
but I played in a punk band, so I was all good about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, it's uh, we could we we could probably talk for another two hours, and we don't have enough time about it. But uh, somewhere along the the lines, getting back to uh, streaming, uh, it was uh, either CD Baby or iTunes put me on some streaming service I did not want to be on, and so occasionally I get a little um, uh, report on what I've made, and it's ridiculous. It's just such a slap in the face. I'd almost like to go back to him and say, would you just please take me off of that? I don't want to see that I made seven cents over the course of six months, literally. And they're going to hold that seven cents up until it makes 100, because at 100, they'll release it. Fuck. Yeah. Matt? A few years ago, I attended a church service, and they brought in a famous singer, his name escapes me, but in Christian music, a big name. And before he got on stage, he chastised all of us about pirating and how much a disc costs and they don't get any money and they go bankrupt. And he was making us feel guilty to go out and buy, buy, buy and don't do this and that. But he really drove that message before he started to sing. But it's yeah. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's hard for people because Spotify and those type of platforms have, have now become like industry standard. People get their music from iTunes and Spotify, you know, and that's how they do it now. Not very many people listen to the CDs anymore or have CD players, which is too bad because the quality is actually better. If people don't know this, the quality of music's better on the CD because the files are called WAV files. They're not MP3 files which the quality has been degenerated a lot between the wave and, and the MP3. So you're not getting as best quality, but I understand that for people, those platforms are easy. It works with their iPhones or their smartphones, whatever they have. What we need is we need to get the government in there and say, what are you paying these people? That's horrible. You've got to pay more. You've got to pay them a real living wage. You remember the uh, that that song came out a number of years ago called "All About That Bass." Yeah. yeah. Okay. One of the co-writers got on the internet and he talked about that at that point. What about the bass got streamed more than any other song? It had somewhere around. Whew, I'm going to take a quick stab and guess: two to three hundred million. Now think about that for a second. Two to three hundred million working its way to a half a billion streams. He said the group got a paycheck for about five thousand dollars. Shit. And they had the largest by far amount of streams at, like I said, going to a quarter to a half a billion streams, and they got a paycheck for five thousand. So when I hear of other people getting a hundred thousand streams out there, I'm thinking their paycheck is like thirteen bucks. <laughs> yeah, one of the other gals who was on my show, she they recently announced that she got half a million uh, streams on Spotify. So, but but other than the, perhaps this publicity, it doesn't matter for anything because uh, she, the only way the only way that artists are making money nowadays, and with in the day of COVID, it's been pretty dry over the last couple of years is by uh, performing live and doing that and for you that really isn't it i mean one of these days i can see you do your work with the seattle uh, seattle symphony 
or some, you know, a large group in Benaroya Hall or something like that and can bring folks in. And I think you would do very well. Uh, but if you don't, if you're not out there playing and selling your CDs at the spot, it's, yeah. it's hard, which is why I'm, I'm imploring you. If you like Randy's work, go to randyhathaway.com, purchase a CD there or the individual music. You can do that. He can sell it to you by the piece, by the thing. He can sell you the, the sheet music to it and all of that. And it's all there for you. And that, but you're supporting a very, very talented man who I just wanted to also shout out to you that, that you're also right now taking care of your mom and dad. And oh, yeah. I, applaud, I applaud you for doing that as well. Oh, thank you. Oh, they're great people. Like literally great people. Your mom's so, a hell of a singer too, isn't she? Yeah, my mom has got some serious pipes on her. She can she can really sing. And my dad's extremely musical on the piano. He's about deaf now, which is too bad. But um, yeah, when we were growing up, he was always sit at the upright. We had my great grandmother's old upright, and we still have it here. And he would sit, and he was kind of a big jazz guy, big Louis Armstrong fan. But he also liked Rachmaninoff and, and a lot of the great, you know, big classical. So we would hear a little mix every once in a while. But movie themes, he was also big, big movie theme guy uh loves loves that kind of stuff so great stuff yeah and, and i like to touch upon one other thing too that's one of the reasons why i said earlier i'd like to get into licensing because with the right situation with the right I, and i think they call them uh oh what did i call that person earlier uh da, 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 da. anyway they 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 program music specifically for television and music supervisor there we go that's why I would like to get hooked up with a music supervisor or a good company that actually pays a fair wage. If they, uh, if, if, and uh, they get to the point of licensing your music to television or film. But I also have made some off radio uh, through ASCAP because I, you can become a member of ASCAP or BMI and they're the ones who collect royalties. So I have made some money off the radio play. But I can tell you that that's pretty wonky and I might have to talk to a lawyer soon because what I'm getting paid and what I've uh, got under my records, I've saved uh, as many playlists as possible. I have almost a thousand. They're not matching up. And uh, I, I think that their practices um, need to be uh, seriously uh, looked at through the government um, because their practices are uh, they're not ethical. And it's amazing that we live here in America and we are able to use other people's products like the way they're using mine and then and then either pay so low or not pay when you want to pay or have ways of saying, oh, you didn't quite make the list. They have some really unethical practices. And I'm sure if there was anybody out in ASCAP world right now hearing this, they'd probably be pretty pissed off at me. But at the same time, they couldn't deny it. There are too many articles written musicians have written online about their practices. It's too bad. But we really do need to get the government in there. Larger government in there. That's what I'm calling for. I want large government in to get ASCAP and BMI and, and hold those boys accountable. And Spotify, hold them accountable. Or go in there and say, break them up. Say, we're going to put a new company in there that actually pays fairly. You guys are gone. They got to do something. That way people don't have to get rid of Spotify or feel guilty for listening to Spotify. They can listen to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever and not feel guilty because those places will be paying the artists fairly. 
you know. But uh, yeah, absolutely. By the way, We've been talking with Randy Hathaway. He is a composer. He's a musician. And please go to uh, randyhathaway.com. I love your web page, by the way. You oh, got lots you. of great information there and and uh, uh, and a lot of stuff to go through. And it's it's great fun. And, and it's been a pleasure having you here. Eric, Thanks, would you Kevin. like to... Anything else you'd like to add before we uh, let this fine man go and have the rest of his day? Oh, man, it's just been terrific to have you here, Doc. You know, there, there's so much behind your album to learn and listen to, and it, it's just great seeing you. You know, oh, I have to you. say, uh, Randy, Randy and I reconnected at a very low point in my life. It was I, I sort of disappeared off the, off the earth for a while when I was going through a lot of trouble. And I was homeless for about six months. And I wasn't answering people's calls, you know, obviously, because it's tough to be out on the streets. And Randy called me one day, and I thought, I always like talking to Randy. So I picked up. And he said, hey, how you doing? What's going on? We should hook up and have coffee. And I told him right away, you know, what well, life sucks, man. You know, I'm living in my car. I'm doing all this kind of shit. And he said, and he didn't even hesitate. Didn't even hesitate. He just said, well, I have an extra room, man. You know, why don't you come in out of the street and, you know, get in there, get your life together. Come on in. So I was there well, in a couple of days. Did it even take me two days to get there? I don't think so. So Randy brought me into his house and let me get uh, get back on my feet. And, man, I am forever thankful that you helped me out at a critical time in my life, man. I just uh, really appreciate that. We have always had this connection of support. You know, we had this right away, uh, aesthetically, you know, right off the bat. We had this uh, understanding about each other's aesthetics that uh, were always something of uh, thought for both of us. We worked on lamps together at a time. And then uh, uh, he brought me into his house. And it's just been terrific, Randy. I really appreciate your friendship and your support and the aesthetic, oh, yeah. uh, aesthetic content that you're putting out there. It's just terrific. Man. If we're given the opportunity to help oh, others, we should always do what we can and what what we feel comfortable doing. And it it was a comfortable decision, obviously, for me to make. And uh, the it was it was uh, heartbreaking for me to know that somebody who uh, was working two jobs is <laughs> uh, extremely uh, intelligent, educated. Uh, was living in their car. I could, could get my head around it, uh, although it happens all the time. Uh, but it, it and and doesn't have a problem with drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. It's like you know, pretty much on the straight and arrow. And um, yeah, so it was my pleasure. I, I you know, you did all the work though. I mean, I just I feel like if I gave you a, a safe place to land, where you could sleep, have a roof over your head, and food and didn't give you any expectations, just let you be, that that would be what you needed. And and you did all the rest. So congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Matt? Randy, there's a type of elevator music, which is not insulting. It's not in Jerry. It is just a beautiful, soulful rhythm for a background of life, our souls. And so you are my kind of music and my personal label of what I consider to be the right type of elevator music and you're beyond elevator music but they talked about movies lately it just has a graceful flow to it yeah. um, Maureen McGovern 
is who came to mind when I heard the first music with the vocalist you have. But you went a step further. You shared the trenches with us. You let us know what type of circus it is. And above all, you shared yourself. It all came yeah. together. And this is fantastic. Pleased to meet you, Randy. Oh, thank you very much. It was great having you on here. I'm happy to be on your show. So thank you for having me and putting the word out there. And by the way, apparently somebody got to the emotionals of, of <laughs> Michael Maxwell because he says, darned onions. So uh, it's, <laughs> you, you, you touched his heart would be my guess there. And that's, that's pretty cool. Randy, what I'd like to do is offer you the opportunity. We're going to all step aside and offer you the opportunity to tell our audience now and in the future, anything that you'd like them to know from your heart. Uh, well, Hey, I, I, maybe I'll just do a little quick last minute promotion. Uh, so my music is on um, iTunes but I actually probably make a little bit more money if you go to my website. So if you go to randyhathaway.com, you can do downloads. You can download individual pieces or the whole album, or you can order the CD. Um, and, uh, and you know, uh, this is beautiful music. It's, it's meant to be a very beautiful spiritual experience. Um, it's engaging. I think it's thought-provoking, but it's, it's peaceful and beautiful and that's what i try to create uh if you know musicians please let them know that the sheet music is available a lot of singers might like to hook up with a guitar player and play some of this stuff um uh, but other than that you know go to explore there's lots of fun i got a couple documentaries on the uh website that you can go and explore and lots of pictures and some other radio interviews if you know you want to dive that deep um, and then if anybody's in the music industry, I'd certainly like to hook up with some uh, some music supervisors for sure. So let me know. I'm here. <laughs> Again, we've been talking with Randy Hathaway. Gentlemen, I have enjoyed these two hours immensely. It's been a great deal of fun. And thank you, Eric, for bringing uh, Randy to us. Um He's, he's, he's a dynamic soul. And, uh, I'm August 29th, August 29th, August. Oh, thank you. Good. <laughs> and he is going to appear on KKNW 1150 AM with us on August 29th. And Eric's going to be there. I've got to end up going to have a funeral director there. No, wait, that's not right. No, <laughs> I am, uh, but that'll be somebody else for another hour. And we're going to have a great time on KKNW 1150 AM in Seattle. And so you can tune into that. Go to KKNW's website and they'll stream it live for you anywhere in the world. So we're looking forward to that. Randy, it's been awesome having you here. Um, and I want to thank you again, gentlemen. I will see uh, Matthew and I'll see Eric next week as normal because we're going to be here at one o'clock next Wednesday. Haven't got any idea what we're going to talk about, but we're always come up with something. And Eric and I've got something in the works that we're not going to talk about right now, but it, it's uh, kind of, it'll be fun. So I want to thank everybody for uh, being here and uh, have a great day, everybody. Thank you guys. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.